Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Or if that's too much, you can just call us the five R's. I am George Cagle, joined by Scotty Jinx. Hello. And Evan Melcher. Hey, everyone. Evan is returning uh, after his... uh, you know, after his episode on Isaiah 6. So we're happy to have him back. In fact, Evan just delivered a sermon at the youth group at our church, got in his car, drove here, and is now doing the podcast. So Yeah, I'm, I'm switch, switching gears now to, to Isaiah, which is which is great. So excited to be, uh, you know, thank, thank you guys, George and, and Scotty, for, you know, faithful through Isaiah, the, the podcast has been a blessing, uh, I know to me, and, and I know to others, uh, it, it's been great uh, what we're doing here. So. Thank you, Evan. So today we're looking at Isaiah 30 and 31, and of course the, uh, the main lesson from this story, right, is uh, stay away from Egypt. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's funny, right, because it's, uh, I guess it shouldn't be funny, but the uh, stay away from Egypt. That, that kind of made me made me laugh there because it's, it's it's already been been done. That's the the funny thing, right? We're seeing this um, where the Northern Kingdom uh, has has already tried. So, what about you, Scotty? Initial thoughts. Um, well, we've got uh, some good uh, passages and some good convicting passages, I'd say, in uh, Isaiah chapter thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly you know he's uh condemning their de- desire for an alliance with egypt um and then uh 31 we're kind of moving moving in the same direction um but the lord is um i guess he sort of uh just gets more specific right he's um the lord wants to be the one that the people are relying on. And um, he uses a, a lot of word pictures to kind of get that message across. Right, yeah. Again, yeah, a lot of imagery. Yeah, I love that as we, well, I know we'll dive into it when we get to 31, but I think kind of overarching with it, the, the kind of the picture of God we'll see in 31, kind of comparing him, uh, you know, his strength, which they should be relying on. Uh, and then his kind of protective nature as kind of like a mother bird. See, uh, and so he, the contrasting and the imagery there, uh, uh, these two chapters is, is, is cool to take away. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So starting in Isaiah 30, we have the first five verses in which God warns uh, the people of Judah from going to Egypt, right? Judah at this point is faced with the Assyrian uh, armies and and the uh, invasion of Assyria. And even though, right, the king of Judah at this time, Hezekiah is one who is faithful to the Lord. You know, he he seems to have... uh, a lot of advisors and, and, and people that are still not. And this is what they're telling him to go do, which is to form an alliance with Egypt, go get help from Egypt to help them defeat Assyria. 
And so what is y'all's uh, take on these five verses here uh, in, in regards to all this? Yeah, I think, you know, one here, you know, the thing that strikes, strikes me uh, is that in verse one, talking about piling uh, sin on top of sin, Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, you know, kind of goes back to uh, what I said in the beginning. Like this strategy has already been tried and it's and it's failed. Um, and you know, it's kind of doing it again and and going against God's uh, support and His help. Uh, and so uh, it's something that is just trying to do it their own way, right? They're not unwise to seek help that it's they're not wise to seek it from anyone but the Lord because he's he has promised to deliver them so that's uh, that was the, the kind of the first thing there and that is so applicable uh, for all of us um, you know we just try to dig ourselves out and end up just sinning more and more and more just you know the, the God simply asked us there to, to just just stop just stop what you're doing and trust right uh, Matthew Henry said um, it was often the fault and folly of the Jews that when troubled by their neighbors on one side, they sought for succor from others instead of looking up to God. Um, I think that's just a really concise way of explaining the situation that um, when uh, trouble comes from one neighbor, you ask for help from the other. Um, And uh, which of course I find myself doing the same thing. Um, looking for um, uh, help, looking for hope um, from a created person um, instead of looking to the Lord, which ought to be my, ought to be our first instinct, right? Right. So, yeah, and, and like in verse two, right, they say, you know, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction, and right, it's it's like how often, right, do we make plans and and decisions without prayer? You know, I, I don't I don't know about y'all, but many times I've uh, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go do this, or I, okay, this is going on, so I need to do this instead, so I can deal with this problem. And then somebody goes, "Have you prayed about it?" And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, what a bombshell to drop on somebody. I know, yeah. uh, and and but here's something else. Like this, actually going to Egypt is a blatant disobedience of God. Uh, in Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen, uh, God through through Moses says, uh, "These are laws concerning uh, the rulers of Israel. Uh, only he the." king of Israel must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. So Judah here is blatantly disobeying the commandment of the Lord by going back to Egypt to get horses, to get cavalry and and chariots to help them. Uh, and it's right as verse three says, it's going to lead to their shame and their humiliation, which all of us, right? We're going, our plans or we are going to be put to shame if our faith is not in the cornerstone, 
as uh, Isaiah, you know, describes Christ in, in chapter 28. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's one thing that I think, hey, I'm going to do this because, you know, God's given me a brain, so I'm going to use it and do something smart. But, you know, just like what your point there, going back to Deuteronomy, this is, this is direct disobedience uh, against a direct command on the actual uh, people group that they're going to go get help from. Uh, and so there's no way around it that this is sin. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it reminds me of, of, of the great proverb, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding and all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. Um, so don't be wise in your own eyes, fear in the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, you, a great thing to, uh, to hone in on here. So, Right. And, and God is just ready to deliver Judah if, if they really just cry out to him. I mean, even in verse one, what does God call these people who are trying to go to Egypt? calls them stubborn children. Yep. It's, it's, you know, I, I have never once said, you know, turned to my sons and go, ah, oh, you stubborn children, but maybe I should, maybe that's how I should describe them when they, when they sin now, because it is, it's, it's still a, uh, there's compassion right in this call. You are my children. You are disobedient and disobeying me, but I, you're still my children, and I love you. And I'm I'm pleading with you to not do this. Just call on me. So now moving on, we got verses six and seven. An oracle about the beasts of the Negev. So Evan, you expressed, uh, or not Evan? Yes, Evan, you expressed interest in these two verses. Why don't you explain? Uh, what this is saying to uh, to our listeners here. Well, I just got, you know, as I uh, look through this, you know, we got really, you know, Judas kind of taking everything that they have, right, foolishly down to a people who's not going to help them. So we get the, get the, uh, the details here talking about all of their wealth that they're bringing down there. Uh, and uh, we know that it's, it's not going to uh, end well. Um, Egypt is not going to help them. Uh, and then even, what the Lord calls uh, Egypt here, I found interesting. Um, just the name uh, Rahab is the name uh, for pride, and, and it's a name uh, that has been used uh, for uh, Egypt. Uh, and uh, it's 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 interesting uh, in that it it also is is kind of the imagery here is that they're also going to be you know Rahab who just sits so. Judah's bringing everything down there. Egypt's going to help them, but they're going to sit idle. Uh, all right. They're going to sit idle while Judah's attacked and is not going to fight for them. Uh, where, you know, kind of, we can, you know, kind of contrasting this later on, we'll get into what does the Lord do in verse 31? You know, he does not sit idle. He acts like a lion and that kind of mother bird uh, imagery. That is a direct contrast to what they are putting their hope in. Uh, so I just thought that was real interesting because, uh, again, I was a little bit like, why are we calling them or who is Rahab here? You know, there's other pieces of this. So it's, it's interesting. Sure. I thought it was weird that uh, he calls it a pronouncement on animals. You know, I mean, Isaiah's got a lot more animals than most books of the Bible I've <laughs> familiarized myself with. Um, <laughs> but in this case, you know, uh, Isaiah is is envisioning a caravan basically headed uh, t- headed to Egypt, right? He says, um, 
They carry their wealth on the back of donkeys and their treasures on the hump of camels to a people who will not help them. Um, so, so obviously, you know, metaphorically, uh, the Lord is not upset with the animals themselves, but the fact that they're being sent. Um, and I think there's a comparison, you know, he's, ma- he's making a comparison between uh, the people of Judah and, um, and those animals um, who are, uh, um, which is not a comparison you want the Lord to make about you. Yeah, this is similar. He refers to some beasts carrying some burdens and things in Isaiah 46. And I think kind of the same way here, there's almost sort of like this mocking in this section. Like these poor animals are having to journey through this wilderness and endure all these dangers and difficulties you know, doing something that ain't going to amount to anything. You know, it's like, oh, the, the poor beasts of burden carrying all these these treasures and everything. There's there's almost like it's uh, it's almost like God is making fun of the people and their plan here. Yeah, and you know, just calling them right because uh, I think that's exactly what it is, right? Because it's it, right at the end. It's the at least in the CSB, right? Egypt's help is completely worthless. Yep. Then we have uh, another section, right? Verses 8 through, I guess, 14 uh, is talking about the rebellious and the the rebellious people, the lying children, uh, right? The the people of Judah are described in like verse 9. They're unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, right? Their hearts are hardened. And, yeah, and then you have verse 10, right? We say to the seers and to the prophets, right? Do not see, do not prophesy to us what is right. Now, obviously, I, I don't think anybody is going to turn to a pastor and say, don't teach us what is wrong, right? They're not literally saying this, but Scotty, what are they, what is Isaiah saying about uh these people and, and their interaction with the prophets and, and priests of, uh, of their time. Sure. Well, I mean, the new Testament warns us that people, um, people ahead after the new Testament are going to be, um, they're going to have itching ears, right? They're going to have, uh, they're going to essentially seek a certain message. Right. And so, uh, in this case, um, every time they hear something negative, about their own, um, uh, about their own standing, especially about their future. Um, there's always someone who wants to tell them that they're, uh, that they're more than conquerors, you know, that there's, um, that the way up is up, right. That everything is going to turn out fine. Um, and essentially they've got all these bad counselors that they're embracing because, uh, you know, what What boss doesn't want a yes man, right? Somebody who's going to tell them uh, what they want to hear. And in this case, uh, they're not after truth. And, the, and so when someone gives them truth, they say, no, not, not that. that. That can't be right. Um, that, because they, just, they don't care um, what the Lord 
they're not considering what the Lord wants for them. They're not considering what he has in store um, since they have an idea of what the Lord ought to do and their interpretation of um, what should happen uh, is all they want to hear. So right. when he says, uh, tell us flattering things, prophesy illusions, you know, uh, they're not actually um, going to straightforward say, listen, I want fake, you know, um, but at the same time, that's what we do. You know, think about how, um, like with social media, we follow people who are going to tell us the things we want to hear. And as soon as somebody says something and we say, oh, I didn't know they thought that, what do we do? Immediately, um, we have the choice to unfollow them, um, unfriend them if it's serious, and say, <laughs> you know, since this person no longer agrees with me, um, they're an outlier in, in, in my feed, you know, the things that I'm seeing. Uh, so let's get them out of there. So everything can be, you know, homogenous, the same, everything can be just the opinions I already agree with. And, um, and in that way, we basically are the same ones. We say, listen here, seers do not see, you know, uh, prophets do not prophesy the truth. I want to be flattered, man. I want to see a pretty illusion. Um, so show me that. Uh, essentially, he's, uh, you know, verse 11, he says, get out of the way, leave the pathway and rid us of the Holy One of Israel. You know, in the same way, none of us would uh, come out and just say, like, listen, we want God off the throne. But if you pay attention to our thoughts, our attitudes and emotions, um, multiple times a day, um, I am asking for the Lord to be dethroned, right? I want the seat, um, I want the seat empty so that I can sit there. Um, and, uh, and the Lord is, is, is trying to help here. He's trying to, um, use, um, you know, use, humor sort of uh, to sort of break through and say, this is what you're really saying. This is what you're really asking for. You know, you're a rebel, right? Uh, at heart. Um, and so when, you know, uh, years from now, the Lord is, or Jesus is going to um, explain uh, that if you have eyes to hear and ears, uh, I'm sorry, eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, and in this case, uh, they don't have these uh, eyes to see or ears to hear. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because we, you hit the nail on the head there. We, we do, we still hear this today. We, I mean, we, you know, obviously the social media example, but then even in churches, right. You, you hear people, you know, flopping churches over and over. Ah, the, the pastor said something I didn't like uh, now. Um, you know, sometimes it's legit, right. But sometimes it's, it's, he said something that's true to the word of God, but I, I disagree with personally. Um, and, and, and that is uh, something that is still prevalent, right. With us when, you know, and we, we I think still want to hear what we want to hear uh, and we want truth unless it like forces us to change. Uh, and, um, and then there's also the whole, you know, we want everything to be truth for us. So is that, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth thing going Right there. But, um, you know, I, and I think, you know, thing I was thinking about a lot with the, with these verses, you know, is, uh, of course, you know, we should all be like the Bereans and study the scriptures and make sure that what we hear is accurate. But 
what we can be confident in, right? This is the word of the Lord. You know, uh, if the word rubs us the wrong way, then there's probably an opportunity to lean in and, and probably repent. Um, but, you know, we don't need to put scripture to the test of, you know, man's words or our own feelings. We need to put man's word to the test of scripture. It should, you know, it never needs to be the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And and not only is it right, people, individuals jumping from church to church because they hear something they don't like, but then you have some of these churches that are growing and or, or that are massive and you have like these celebrity pastors that come on TV and you're like, yeah, that's what they just said was not biblical. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, but their congregations are massive because people, they tell people what they want to hear. You know, just yeah. human wisdom is just so much easier on the ears than, than divine truth. And I think, and also in verse 11, where it says, let us hear no more about the Holy one of Israel. I think it's important to understand that even if, you're in a church or you have certain beliefs about God and you know, like, well, I believe, you know, I believe in a God who is all love and, or, you know, or something like that. Or I believe in a God that is okay with homosexuality or, or, or whatever. And if that's not, you know, if what you believe does not line up with the Bible, then you're the God you're worshiping and following is not the Holy one of Israel. Right. When when the truth is no longer proclaimed, the Holy One is forgotten. Yeah, and I think the you know, it's it's like that, um, you know, treating God as a genie. Right. And, and, and that's a scary point. I mean, it, and, and there are times right? I think we all probably think like, hey, we just want God to do what we want to do. But how scary would our world be if if, if God was a genie for everybody and, and gave into everybody's demands? Right. We, we the, the thankful thing that we have is that we have one God who has his will and that he is going to do, uh, fulfill his plan uh, and is not going to get thwarted by the wishes and demands of everybody else. So he's not going to be thrown around by that. And, and right, so, like, like Bruce Almighty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> From there, right, we have verses 12 through 14, the rest of this, this little section. And a couple things that, that stood out to me. First off, again, again, sort of like this, as Scotty pointed out, the, kind of this making fun of, judah right that judah in verse 12 it says that judah trusts in oppression and perverseness and and rely on them and you know again i'm sure if you went up to somebody from judah back then and go do you believe do do you rely on oppression you know they'd probably Mm -hmm. say what no no i don't but if you're sinful then that is true about you because sin oppresses other people and, and that's just the nature of, of sin and, and who you are as, as a sinner. And then in verse 13, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall and, and that, you know, eventually collapses. It's, it's just, the, again, this picture of sin is just going to grow and grow until it causes the nation to collapse. Yeah, and what you know, you see here that you know Judah, Judah clearly had uh, the opportunity to learn through God's words um, spoken through Isaiah, um, choosing not to. Now they're going to have to learn through consequences, which is still God's grace. 
but they, they, they had that opportunity uh, to, to learn through the words. And we have that opportunity today, right? We have God's mm-hmm. word and uh, God still may discipline us to teach us something. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the other thing that is, is a reality with this that, you know, is that we can't be ignorant to is that disobedience just it has consequences. Uh, we can't be ignorant to that. And then finally in verse 14, right, that Judah is going to be broken here, verse 14, like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among mm-hmm. its fragments not a shard is found. And You know, it's just, again, this picture that I'm going to completely break Judah down. It's going to be scattered, broken, good for nothing. And, you know, the imagery here, right, is is of a jar or a vessel that is just smashed to pieces and it you can't use it for anything you can't even take a little piece of it and use it to scoop out water uh and it's funny i i saw a, a great visual of this earlier this week uh my five-year-old knocks over a pot <laughs> that was holding a uh little succulent in it and it smashes and i'm like you're gonna have to go tell mom uh, and apologize and he's like no please you can fix it and he runs and like pulls out like the glue you know and like the little uh, <laughs> elmer glue and the you know and the tape and i'm like i'm sorry no that's that's not gonna work <laughs> this thing is beyond repair you're gonna have to go apologize <laughs> and, and tell her what you did and but it's right the same thing here judah is it was like that is going to be like that pot just completely demolished um with it's like and even here right it's like oh there's no hope of ever putting it back together again of course we know as as we'll see that well god is capable of putting mm-hmm. it back together again uh mm-hmm. but we'll get to that in in a little bit uh, in this chapter right just like Humpty Dumpty right (laughs) so now we have verses 15 16 and 17 of chapter 30 Uh, so right and it's verse 15 calls people to turn to God you know he asks us to, to quietly trust in God Trust in his timing. You know, if you would just write in returning and rest, you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But then the last part of verse 15, right? But you were unwilling and you said no. And it's just wow. You know, and but again, that's what we're like when we sin. God offers us quiet and rest to be our strength. And we go, no, I don't want you. I don't want this. Yeah, man. I, I see such a, a, a clear example of, of here in Isaiah, here in the Old Testament, always been about faith. Uh, it's not about them and, and their doing. Uh, it is, you know, you see that they're delivered not by X, Y, Z, by and resting. Right, uh, your strength will lie in quiet confidence, and, and and such a picture of you know pointing towards my mind to Jesus, how he displayed this. Right, and even when he humbled himself to come as a man, and and, and came down and and being mocked, 
put on the cross. I mean, even there, uh, he rested in, in, the, in God's will. Uh, and he, you know, and later in Isaiah, you know, prophesizing about the breast afflicted, he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep. He did not open his mouth. He rested and trusted in the Father and his will and what his plan was. So it is, it has always been uh, faith. And I just, I just, uh, just seeing that here, uh, just another example of, of it's always been faith. Right. So there, the, the Holy one of Israel is trying to explain, he says, listen, uh, you, the way out of this, the, the way forward is uh, isn't through work, but through resting, right? So mm-hmm. we, the the idea of a Sabbath is coming back and saying like, um, you think, uh, and especially with the, the following verse, he says, um, you say, no, we will escape on horses. Therefore you will escape and we will ride on fast horses, but those who pursue you will be faster. And so what he's saying is like, you want it to be exciting. You want, um, something you can see that's going to help because uh, that's the real problem is without faith you can't see what the Lord is doing so you need you need something visible to take the place of the Lord and they think um, in this case they think it, you know Egypt's horses are gonna are gonna be their savior and the Lord says listen you think it's gonna be you know real exciting but that's not gonna be an action movie that's gonna be a horror movie right they are going to catch you everything you do, uh, every, um, every effort you make to get away, uh, I'm going to curse it. Right. Um, uh, if you don't know how to rest, which of course they don't, and, and we don't to some extent, um, then you're going to be destroyed in all, in all your working to get yourself to safety. One other thing yeah, to add to this, uh, section is, where it says in 17, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one and at the threat of five, you shall flee to you are left like a flagstaff on top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill, meaning right. Judah is just all alone. Uh, But that, that part about a thousand shall flee at the threat of one I found in Leviticus chapter 26 Verses seven through eight, this was uh, a promise from God if Israel obeys him. It says, you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000 and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. So, right, God promised them just overwhelming victory against their enemies if they but obey him and follow him. Uh, but because Judah does not, they're going to be, they're going to suffer, right? Overwhelming defeat. Everything is reversed. Mm-hmm. Whereas they have a thousand, they could be, they're going to be defeated. It's like they'll be defeated by one person, you know, uh, or if just five Assyrians are coming at them, they're going to run away. Uh and again, this is right the, the the work of God, the withdrawing of His blessing on on a people that have rejected Him. Right? They were unwilling. 
But now this leads to verse 18, which I love verse 18. I would love to just talk about this for the next 30 minutes, but I also know Scotty wanted to talk about verse 18. So I'm going to let Scotty go first. Scotty, tell us all about verse 18. Maybe read it to us first and then tell us about sure. it. Uh, so verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently uh, for him are happy. Um, now I think it's interesting, especially since, based on what we just talked about, um, how essentially the, the Lord wanted to deliver them by returning and resting. And then we find out what is the Lord doing? Well, he's actually waiting to show mercy. Uh, all of the attributes he wanted uh, his people to show, he's showing himself by um, by being uh, compassionate. Uh, all this, um, he is doing what he what he asked us to do. Um, he says, "All who wait patiently for him are happy." Essentially, the Lord is waiting patiently, and and that is a communicable attribute, right? You can wait patiently. I can wait patiently for the Lord. Um, and if I did, uh, he actually promises joy. Mm-hmm. And then, Evan, I know you want to talk about verse 18 also. So <laughs> no, give, us, uh, give us your, yeah, your, your uh, radical reflections. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like the but God moment, right? I mean, we've got the, all the disobedience and the consequences here that are uh, that are laid out before this, and then it just switches gears here. Uh, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy, and it it really reminded me, uh, you know, at, at at the church we just finished up the judges, obviously just before this time frame here, uh, but it's it, it reminded me of a time in in Judges chapter ten uh, where the Israel obeying again, uh, and they have all these foreign gods. They haven't gotten rid of them, and, and God kind of tells them, go out and, and call the gods that you've chosen, let them deliver you, uh, and then uh, have some repentance there. And, and it says, but even though uh, still disobedient, but it says that God became weary of Israel's misery. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it just reminded me of that because here, Waiting, and he's, you know, and I see from judges that he gets imp- with us, but then he also there's times where he gets impatient of seeing us suffering and being just stupid, and so, and that's where I just see that compassion here, and it just, uh, I just, I just love. Uh, uh, there's kind of always that kind of theme, and we see that played out in our lives all the time, right? There's disobedience, and then there's mercy, uh, and it just is a a constant battle, and hopefully that's getting smaller and shorter with sanctification, but, uh, that is, uh, that is such a great, um, kind of attribute here, uh, that I reflect on regularly is God's patience with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, uh, in the ESV, it says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And I think first off, right. Yeah. There's all this talk about judgment in the previous verses, and I think, right, for God, God is first going to complete judgment so that he can then show compassion to Judah. Uh, I think, I mean, this verse, I had to just 
sit and stare at this verse for quite a while. Just this idea of God being so patient with me, even as I stubbornly refuse his grace, right? Even that in his patience is grace. So he's just wait, you know, he's just graciously waiting to be more gracious and merciful uh, to me. I mean, it's just, just stunning the, the patience that God has for uh, his people. And then, right, he's talking about mercy and grace. And then in the second half of verse 18, he's going to, right, it's, he's going to show mercy for the Lord is a God of justice. And again, it's sort of like, how in the world is that just? How is, how is, you know, because mercy should be the opposite of justice, right? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve and justice is getting what you deserve. So how can these things go together? And I mean, the answer is the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah thirty eighteen points to the cross and how Christ took the judgment, satisfying God's justice so that he can then turn and be gracious to us. So from there, right, uh, verse 19, um, right, there's there's promise of for the people who do wait on him, right? These people shall dwell in Zion, which is, right, kind of representative of where God is because that's the mountain that had the temple in uh, Jerusalem. So it's, it's sort of this promise, right, that um, these people will see God and be, and be where God is, right? Ultimately, right? There's this, this section is kind of this promise of uh, a relationship with the Lord and that there are going to be struggles, right? Verse 20, the Lord will give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. But again, these struggles, right? Bring sanctification. Uh, You know, so where we are promised affliction, in this life, but again, uh, there is just this this emphasis on uh, grace to us. In fact, uh, in verse nineteen, the second sentence, because y'all have CSB, right? That's right. So in ESV, it says, "He will surely be grace gracious to you at the sound of your cry." What does what does it say for y'all? He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. Okay. So in the, so in the commentary I was reading, uh, it said like the, that the Hebrew, if you were to trans, tra- uh, translate the Hebrew directly to English, it actually said, and being gracious, he will be gracious to you. Which is, again, we've seen a a few times here in Isaiah, and certainly right in Isaiah chapter 6, when it talks about God being holy, 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 here is basically saying God will be gracious, gracious, basically. Uh, Just this emphasis on how great his grace is to his people who, who wait for him. Yeah, and you even you talked a little bit there about the you know it's not going to be without affliction too, right? And that 
you know, but then you, you kind of contrast this. So I know we'll talk about it in, in verses 27 through I think the end of the chapter there, but I mean, the affliction and the discipline within God's uh, protection is much better than what we see on the annihilation side, uh, right. Of, of, of not being in God's protection. So, right. you know, different way of thinking about the affliction. If it's still, if I'm uncomfortable, but I'm with God, that's a much better place than being comfortable and without God. Uh, and so, because we see uh, the, the opposite of this, uh, I think, in, in the next section. Mm-hmm. And then also in verse 20, right, there's this promise that your eyes shall see your teacher. Right. And right. That, that's just the promise of, of the great reward that we will receive. Right. We will see God. Uh, eventually. And, and that will, yeah, make all all that suffering will be, you know, incomparable to uh, to what we will uh, receive uh, right. in the next life. So, Scotty, tell us about verses uh 21 and 22. 21 and 22, yeah. So it says, uh, the end of 20, it says, your eyes will see your teacher. And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear his command behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Uh, so I'm first struck by the fact that uh, the Mandalorian quoted scripture. <laughs> um, now, uh, I may be talking to some of the uh, listeners here, more than uh, the co-host, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that went over my head. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, my Disney Plus did not get renewed, so yeah, I missed that. It's uh, it's uh, anytime a Mandalorian talks about what Mandalorians do, they say this is the way. Uh, probably once per episode in the first season, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I hear it, you know, it's it's got a Christian flavor to it because um, that's what they originally called the church. Right. In Acts, they call them the followers of the way. Um, and, you know, Jesus called himself the, the way, the uh, truth and the life. And um, I've always liked the Spanish translation because uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, yo soy el camino, uh, and I, which I remember because of the car. But um, it, it means the road. Right. As opposed to uh, the way, like a general direction. He's, he says, I'm, I'm the road, it's like the path that you follow. Um, but what I, I think we're talking about here, um, when we see the Lord, um, or when God's people see the Lord, they're going to, uh, hear his voice and they're going to be convicted, right? When he says, um, uh, no matter which way you turn, you're, you're going to hear a command saying, this is the way walk in it. Um, and so of course, everyone has a conscience, uh, that, makes them feel guilty, but not everyone has the spirit, which makes you convicted, right? That God can tell us uh, specifically what he has in store, what he has in mind for you. You know, the um, Ephesians, uh, is it 2.10, you know, that um, the good works that you were predestined for. Uh, so the next natural step from hearing the, the Lord tell us um, his will for us, what he wants us to do, how, where he wants us to go, um, is verse 22. He says, then you'll defile your silver plated idols and your gold plated images. You will throw them away like minstrel cloths and call them filth. 
And uh, that is an attitude I want when I mm-hmm. uh, think about the moments of idolatry in my life. Um, I, I can't, I couldn't stop thinking about um, different situations where like, let's say, um, let's say something good happens and my pride swells up or something bad happens and my pride um, feels hurt. Right. If, if I were to um, see that clearly as idolatry, um, wouldn't it be great if I were able to be revulsed by that? Right. If I were to think that was gross, like, like when uh, temptation comes, the idea of giving in would put the taste of vomit in your mouth. Um, because that's, this, that's the promise that he's making, uh, that the Lord is making here. Um, he says, you're going to look at these idols. You're going to look at these things that you love instead of me. Um, and you're going to throw them away like they're gross. Uh, I don't know uh, what the podcasts... Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the level is of uh, crassness we allow. Uh, so <laughs> hey, just gonna, don't be I'm more crass say, than the Bible. It is not, um, but it is not good, and we need to see it the way that it really is. Um, and if we're listening to the Lord, right? If we're listening to the way that we should be walking, um, that's how we're going to feel. We're going to look at the opportunity to sin, and instead of being um, instead of being uh, attractive, um, you know, think of, think of Proverbs and how, how the adulterous woman, right, um, it keeps, keeps being this example um, and how you shouldn't go, you know, you, you shouldn't do it. Um, it's going to look promising, but it's, not, but it's no good. You know, her steps lead down to uh, Sheol, right? Um, she's a man-eater. Um, what you got to deal with here is that that's all sin. All sin is that way. Um, it looks good, um, but it's covered in flies, right? Mm-hmm. There are, uh, that is something I would love to feel, um, is, is just that, that sin uh, is so offensive to God, it's, it's gross, it's bad. Um, and as much as, uh, you know, I want to count it as a victory, when I make the conscious decision not to do a particular sin, um, my opinion of that sin is never this bad. Um, mm, yeah. I, I always use this example from uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Uh, there's a character who has a lizard on his shoulder, and this lizard um, is always whispering bad things. Right? He's whispering bad things to the guy, and he says, you know, and he's talking to an angel. Um, like you do in a, in a metaphor and the angel says, uh, or the, the person says, you know, man, I just wish that this thing would stop whispering to me. And the angel says, oh, okay, no problem. And pulls out a sword. And then the guy gets defensive and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, don't you think that's a little too, uh, a little too far? I don't want him to die. Um, and that's exactly how we treat our, that's how I treat my sin. Um, yeah. is that like, listen, mm. man, I really wish this thing would stop bugging me, would stop plaguing me, uh, would give me back some control in my life. And then when the Lord says, okay, don't worry, I'll get rid of it forever. And I say, well, forever, forever. <laughs> like, yeah, because I, because I just don't think it's, I don't think it's gross. 
Yeah, it's like, do we like the, or do we hate the the consequence of sin or the sin itself, right? I mean, I think that's, uh, and I'm glad that you uh, took us in that direction, Scotty. I was a little bit uh, curious when we were planning for this that you jumped at the opportunity to talk about 21-22, and that was the only <laughs> one that I saw on the text thread that you want to talk about. I was like, well, Scotty really wants to talk about menstrual floss. Let's see what this is about. <laughs> You know, in the ESV translation, it's it just says you will scatter them as unclean things. But it is true that uh, I looked it. I looked it up. It is the the Hebrew words uh, basically were describing yeah menstrual cloths. So uh, yeah, I mean, as as repulsive as something like that is to me, uh, I could you know. Just, just imagining that that is how repulsed I will be at idols and and, and sin. And when I was uh, last this last year, I walked into the teacher's bathroom in the toilet, a bloody tampon, and I was thoroughly disgusted. I just turned around and walked out and went into the students' restroom. Which you know is absolutely horrific, horrific, but not yeah. as horrific as <laughs> trying to use a toilet that's got a bloody tampon sitting in it. So wait, why, wait I got to ask a question there, George. Do you not? Yeah. Are the teachers' bathrooms are they unisex or are they? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm like, I'm like George, you know I went to the wrong bathroom. <laughs> I think I think I deserve it for all the times that I've stunk one up. You know, <laughs> for the ladies. You know, I'm ready for that day. Yeah, that I won't be. Uh, Amen. Just in my heart, I won't be uh, attracted these to to something like that. You know, uh, anymore. Uh, but so after that, right, verses twenty three through really twenty six, I guess is is you know just uh, again uh, just a promise that God will uh, heal the rest of creation right once uh we have been made perfect and 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 we are uh with the lord he will also heal all of creation and um and a lot of this i've noticed right just the produce for the ground will be rich and, and uh plenteous and uh, the brooks running with water and everything just all this stuff is ultimately this this new creation will also be for the blessing of his people we get to reap the benefits of this new creation that God, uh, you know, restores. Yeah. I think it builds on, I think you, you guys were talking about it last week in, in the chapters before this about the, the imagery of God as a surgeon kind of, mm-hmm. of, of injuring, um, but also healing. Um, so I thought that, uh, building off of that is just a, a good picture to see. I always love to see the different uh, pictures of of God, and, and and really, it's just there's there's so many of them of, of how He acts as a good father, as a as a surgeon, as a lion, as a you know. There's so many different images uh, of, of who He is. He is not just uh, you know one uh, thing. He has so many good things to us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how you know verse twenty six ends. He says, "On that day." Uh, on the day that the Lord bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds he inflicted. Mm. Um, so we never want to um, blame the Lord for anything, but in, in a situation where he essentially um, 
uh, takes credit for uh, something negative, um, there's just no, uh, there's no denying it, right? Um, that he, um, he uh, broke down so he can build up. And then uh, 27 through 33 really is kind of this, you know, promise of God taking care of the enemies of his people um, and just how easily he will do it. Right. Uh, the, there's no fleeing the judgment. Right. Uh, even like verse 28. Right. He's going to place on the jaws of the peoples, a bridle that leads astray. So he's going to, there's no fleeing, right? These people are going to be bridled uh, with, with spiritual blindness and they'll be led to their uh, destruction. The one thing in particular I wanted to, to point out was in the last verse, verse 33, talking about the king of Assyria, which as we saw in previous chapters, you know, the, the king of Assyria was boasting like he is God himself. And here's his punishment, right? As well as punishments for all people who don't repent, right? Because when we sin, we set ourselves up as God in place of the king of the universe. And this is what's in store for him. Verse 33, a burning place has long been prepared indeed for the king. It is made ready. It's pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. And the burning place, the Hebrew word is a uh, topheth. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce it because I'm, I'm using English pronunciation of those letters. Uh, but it's the pit on the south side of Jerusalem where children were sacrificed and a continual fire was burned to consume refuse that was thrown down there. Uh, later on in the New Testament, it's called the Valley of Hinnom or, or Gehenna, which even here in Isaiah, that, that area is used as a metaphor for hell and, and the everlasting death for the people who uh, are the enemies of God and God's people. Yeah, and you know it. It says there right, in thirty three that this Topheth uh, has been ready for the king for a long time, and I, you know, there, it's kind of in our society we kind of throw around the phrase. It's more of a joke, right? How, there's a special place in hell for you. But I read this really as like this is serious. That God has a special place in hell for this king. He's prepared it for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of just wrote in my notes, like, this is God saying there's a special place in hell for you. And I just wrote, woof. <laughs> like, what? That, that <laughs> is just like, ah, man, I, I don't want to be on that side of it. You know, it's, 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 it's nuts. And you know, even backing up in, in verse 33, uh, you know, this, this is, we do see this fulfilled in Second uh, Kings 19.35, where, you know, 185,000 Assyrians were struck dead by the angel of the Lord in one night. Uh, so it c comes down there and, uh, you know, while uh, they, when they got up the next morning, they're just like, there's all the, the writer of second Kings says there were all these dead bodies. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, he just comes and shatters them uh, with the strike of a rod. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that's actually, yeah, that's discussed in second Chronicles and later on in Isaiah too. Uh, in fact, there's actually going to be a prophecy about that same event here uh, later on in chapter 31. Yeah, sure. So uh, one last thing um, yep. there. Well, I want to point out um, that this is kind of why uh, um, a lot of uh, like old school um, Baptists, especially uh, do not uh, do not care for the idea of cremation. Because they say in the Bible, fire typically means judgment. And so uh, you wouldn't want to voluntarily uh, put yourself through that. Um, now, which I'm not saying I agree with, but uh, it, was, it was just something the text brought to mind. Um, but there's actually uh, a Bible hub. Uh, you know, un- unfortunately, they haven't been mentioned a whole lot lately, but I got to make sure they get their, their due. Um, uh, pointed out that there's actually a bit of a wordplay here because um, the the god they were sacrificing children to um, uh, Moloch is what um, uh, Ellicott's commentary for English reader said um, whereas uh, Melech means king and Moloch is actually a, um, a a dialectic form of the Hebrew Melech meaning king so essentially, the god they're sacrificing to him to calls himself the king, um, and now the king is the one being sacrificed. Um, mm. So uh, um, there's kind of a, a double entente there, saying this um, this has been ready as a sacrifice to a king, um, and now we're going to sacrifice the king. Um, and uh, but they said that the the fire would be sort of continually burning. Um, in order to burn up like refuse and carcasses. Um, so it's, it's not just used as a sacrifice. It's also used as a place to burning undesirable things. And uh, unfortunately for him, the, um, the king seems to be on the list. Yeah, and, you know, his, his death is actually, yeah, it's interesting. It's not good. It's interesting. It's... Uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, as, if you look back in Second Kings, in the same after the hundred eighty-five thousand, it just quickly goes over, and, and then you know, this guy's worshiping in his temple, and his two sons come in and murder him. Uh, so, yeah, uh, doesn't not, not only does he have a special place in hell, he's got a very, uh, what in my mind, horrific death uh, at the son of at the hands of his own sons. Um, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move into chapter 31 now, a little bit shorter chapter, uh, right? Basically a, a word of woe to the people, again, going to Egypt for assistance against Assyria. And right again, they don't look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord, verse 1. Uh, And then verse two says, and yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words. And, you know, it's kind of, it's as if God's saying, you think you're being wise, but I'm more wise. And I actually accomplish what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. And then, and then even right there in verse three, verse three is good. The Egyptians are man and not God. 
and their horses are flesh and not spirit. You know, you're relying on the creature, not the creator. And Egypt ultimately is not powerful, right? It's a false help compared to God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about the disobedience that was outlined in Deuteronomy before with uh, going to Egypt. And, you know, I think, you know, my Bible makes a reference here also to David's Psalm and Psalm 20. And, and then in verse, you know, verse seven, it, it talks about, uh, you know, some take pride in chariots and other horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. So I think this is an obvious contrast uh, to that. Uh, and then, um, you know, the, the, the other part that I found interesting there is going to the Egyptians and, you know, Egyptians are men, not God. But right there at the end of verse three, you know, not, not only is, I mean, just the Lord just has to raise his hand. that doesn't have to strike. We can raise his hand. The helper will stumble. Uh, and just showing the massive strength uh, of, of God, that, that that is all that is needed uh, to, to take care of uh, who God wants to take care of. Mm-hmm. So then in verses four and five, right, is kind of a declaration of God, uh, Judah's true help, right? God has always been faithful and he's unbeatable. Right. He's like a lion to our enemies who he growls over his prey. Right. You know, again, as uh, I believe it was Scotty uh, pointed out, like just the imagery here that, you know, yeah, you have this lion over his kill or over his victim. The shepherds show up and try to shoo the lion away and, you know, maybe throw stuff at it and everything. And the lion is just completely unfazed because the lion knows that he is way more powerful. It can, you know, tear these shepherds apart too, if he wants to. And, and that's how God is right. In regards to our enemies, he is a lion to them. But then in verse five, right. He says that he is like, uh, like birds, hovering and there's sort of this picture of that you know of a of a mother bird you know over its uh, over its chicks and and you know i believe that the bible uses this imagery as well right even jesus used this imagery right of a of a of a mother hen wanting to gather her babies to herself and everything and, and that's so it, it's sort of yeah, this imagery that God's a lion to our enemies, but like a mother bird caring for us. Yeah, it's it's such a such a great image and a comforting uh, thought uh, to to kind of uh, meditate on and and believe and trust in. So then, verse six says, "Return to the one the Israelites have greatly rebelled against." Uh, we're talking about the Lord, of course. For on that day, every one of you will reject the silver and gold idols that your own hands have sinfully made. Um, so he's he's calling them specifically to repent of um, having run to Egypt. Um, and he says, uh, you know, more than that, it's also going to cause you to confess and repent your um, your dependence on uh, on household idols here, um, which I think is just grace upon grace here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then finally verses eight and nine. Um, right, a, a pr- this is a prophecy that 
had to be unthinkable to the rest of the world at this time, right? Considering Assyria's might, that Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man, right? Which, as, as Evan pointed out, right, when this is a prophecy of when the angel of the Lord is going to appear and slaughter the Assyrian army just outside the walls of Jerusalem. So verse, or excuse me, chapter 31 you know, kind of ends with, uh, again, hope for the people who do rely on him for deliverance. As opposed to the people who relied on Egypt for deliverance. Well, that concludes chapters 30 and 31. So we now have uh, application. There is quite a bit of stuff we can take away from these uh, chapters. So, uh, Evan... You get to go first. What are a couple things that we can apply to our lives here after uh, examining uh, Isaiah 30 and 31? Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing that just uh, stuck with me the most as, uh, as reflecting on this was, was that verses 4 and 5 and, and verse 31, the picture of the lion and the, and the mother bird. Uh, and really what I took away from that is, you know, as, as long as, as, as we can stay in him, we're protected, right? We, we may have afflictions, which we also see throughout these chapters. Like there's still going to be affliction in there. And guy, it's not the, uh, the easy life uh, there. It's, it's actually promised there's going to be suffering, but, but ultimately uh, we stay in him uh, this is what we have a, a strong lion and a, and, a, and a mother hen who's going to protect us. And uh, when we leave him, we leave his protection. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, kind of, you know, telling myself that truth, uh, telling my fellow believers, you know, stay in him. You know, there's so many distractions. There's so many things to go after uh, that are not in him. Uh, and just uh, just the, the promises that we have uh, and the good good father that we have here just uh, was was something that I really took away as an application to, to again um, reflect on that for myself but then also you know with with my fellow brothers and sisters as you know as we we have troubles in the world just lean on this as, as a comfort and as a word of advice to to others there is encouraging them and who God is and stay in him. Uh, don't go after these other things. Right. Rely on God, ask for his strength. Don't, yeah. and don't take matters into your own hands. Don't yeah. Cause it's so, it's so easy to give that advice, right. Of, uh, of the worldly advice. And, and um, but uh, you know, that is where we've, we've got to speak the word. We've got to speak the gospel to each other. Uh, mm -hmm. That is the most important advice that we can give. Uh, and it's, it's really the best advice we can, we can know what we're giving is truth and what we're giving is life giving. Uh, and, and we can be confident in that if we're speaking the word uh, and speaking the gospel to each other. Scotty, what about Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. When, when uh, we think about all the things we run to for protection other than the Lord, um, you know, it, it reminds me of all the times, you know, I ran uh, before knowing the Lord, um, ran to other things to, for protection, um, thinking that they could be my savior. 
And so uh, I want to make sure we uh, make the application known um, that anything you're trusting in to uh, keep you uh, safe from your own sinful desires, keep you safe from the judgment of God um, is going to fail. And uh, we need to trust Christ. Uh, We need to put all of our trust in him, uh, that his death on the cross and his resurrection um, and the the presence of his uh, uh, Holy Spirit um, is going to, it uh, is going to protect us um, so we can stop, stop running to other things. Um, and that, uh, anyone listening can believe that today. Um, I also wanted to, uh, talk about James four. When we talked about, uh, trusting in, uh, Egypt or, um, trusting in ourselves. Um, I was reminded of, uh, James four thirteen, uh, which says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city, spend a year there, do business, make a profit. Verse 14, he says, yet you do not know that tomorrow will bring, uh, what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Uh, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Um, so for us, uh, to trust ourselves, um, uh, the application uh, that, I, that I'm uh, pulling out is that we ought to submit to the Lord all of our plans, right? I mean, we, we talked about um, in uh, chapter 30, he said um, that they're, um, they have a plan, but it's not mine. And that's a scary place uh, to be. And instead, we need to, uh, through prayer, uh, submit all of our goals, all of our plans, all of our wishes to the Lord, um, and let him know, uh, that if he wants to change them, um, uh, our hearts need to be ready for that. Very good. Yeah. Make sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you have a plan, did you pray about it first? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to basically repeat what what Scotty said, especially uh, I'm going to pull, you know, uh, uh, an Isaiah and, you know, repeat something for the sake of emphasis. Uh, But right. I want to emphasize for, for if you're listening and you have not placed your faith in Christ to flee to him right uh there is judgment a burning place for for people who reject the lord and and set themselves up as king over their own lives and but god is merciful right verse 18 the lord waits to be gracious to you so uh i i ask that you again place your faith in christ and his uh, work on the cross where he endured your punishment in your stead and uh, you know ask God for for mercy because of what Christ has done and and you'll receive it and and if you are a uh, a Christ follower then rejoice rejoice in the Lord and and rejoice in his mercy and now wait for him right 
serve him in this life, endure the afflictions, because someday, one day you will see your teacher and you will throw away your idols and, and tell them to be gone. Um, the only other thing I would add also is in light of verses 10 and 11 from chapter 30, right? Just test your pastors. Uh, what, you know, whatever church you go to, you know, if you go to Redeemer, if you go somewhere else, you know, when somebody's speaking or even when uh, Scotty or Evan or I or, or somebody else in this podcast are speaking, we say something, you know, uh, test it against the Bible, you know, against what you read uh, so that, uh, you know, you hear and are believing the truth and, and understand that the Bible says many, many uncomfortable things. Right. Chapter 30, verse 33, again, uh, was probably not a, a pleasing verse to read. Right. As uh, as Evan said, woof, it's uh, it's not a it's not a fun verse to read. Uh, and there's plenty of those kinds of things in the Bible. But instead of abandoning it, abandoning the truth, uh, I, I encourage you to, to wrestle with it instead. Yep. That's good. All right. That'll do it for this evening. We're done. Uh, we will uh, continue next week with chapters 32 and 33, I believe. Uh, Evan will not be here. Uh, I believe somebody oh. else will. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that, Scotty. <laughs> Yeah, you'll be. I'm well, I'm sure I'll try to find some some way to get you back, uh, eventually, anyway. Um, well, I'd love to be back at some point. Awesome. Well, all right. Uh, again, this is George Cagle, uh, Scotty Jinks, and Evan Melcher signing off for Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Or, of course, you can just call us the five R's. <laughs> <laughs>